Hey, welcome to Uppity Women. This is Stephanie Harris, and our guest today is Heather Nelson. She is COO of Seal Energy, and they do solar installations, energy assessments, all kinds of retrofits, I think, all kinds of different things. They're based in Argenta in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and they are not the first, but they're among the burgeoning solar entrepreneurs in the state. And we've got plenty of sun here, so I hope that they are successful and I hope that we start to use more and more renewable energy in the state because we should. I think I met Heather, I think I met her in 2013 or 2014. I know it was not long after I started Women Lead Arkansas and she was coming out of banking and I don't know, I think I think it's safe to say she was trying to figure out what was next and what she was gonna do. and. And she ended up starting this company, this SEAL Corporation, which I think was a surprise to her because that wasn't anything she had talked about doing. But she has always been interested in empowering women. She was on, when I met her, I believe she was on the board of the Women's Foundation of Arkansas. And we're actually, we've, uh, I've already done an interview with Annabeth Gorman, who's the executive director of the foundation. And that was a great conversation. And I'm excited to share with you what they are getting up to these days. Anyway, back to Heather. She is just a great person, a lot of fun. She's gorgeous, which, you know, I hate to talk about that because we're not supposed to focus on our looks, but she's gorgeous. She's also, and we don't really talk about this, but I know that she's got a very strong faith. Um, I think she tries to walk in her faith as you're supposed to do, I guess. I don't know. I'm not religious, but um, I think I know how it works. Anyway, uh, it's a good conversation and Heather's got some good information We'll link, obviously, to things in the show notes. Check it out. If you are interested in learning more about solar energy and the things going on in Arkansas, definitely get a hold with the folks at SEAL. And I know that they'll be happy to help you out. So anyway, enjoy. My name is Heather Nelson, and I am, I was... Uh, originally born in Memphis, but we didn't stay there very long. So we, I was primarily raised up around North Arkansas and graduated with my bachelor's uh, from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Went up to Missouri for a few years and worked and back into Arkansas, then got hired on in the management training program for Nations Bank, it was Nations Bank at the time. That kind of started a nearly two decade long career in banking, corporate finance, corporate lending, relationship management. Then back in 2012, I uh, co-founded Seal Energy Solutions in Argenta with Josh Davenport and his father, Ken, who is also an owner in Seal and who owns Davenport Contracting in Argenta, is the one that put us together. So uh, back in uh, the fall, early fall of 2012, he kind of hooked us together and uh, we both kind of lied to each other about how long we would be willing to to do it. And the next thing you know, we're starting a business and, and uh, both doing it full time. So that's the, that's the Cliff Notes version. Yes. There's much more to it. Let's back up and go to banking. What was your interest in that area? That's a really interesting um, story. So I worked for an entrepreneur. Uh, my first job out of college was working for a heavy industrial contractor out of Springfield, Missouri. And they built wastewater and water treatment facilities for primarily utilities across the Midwest. They also worked for the military on some of their bases. And their interest was was to get into cost plus work because they were doing bid work only and of course, low bid wins. So you have lower profit margins. So the um, 
the one of their interest in me was because my I have a marketing management degree from Fayetteville, a minor in entrepreneurial management. And the, but neither of those things are the reason why they wanted me. They wanted me because I went to school at U of A. And one of the firms that they knew was doing costless work was Tyson Foods. And so they, um, they really thought that would kind of, my degree was interesting to them. And also it was a horrible job market. So I was, I was desperate and would take a job that I didn't feel qualified for in some ways was not. But they thought the end, because I had connections in Northwest Arkansas and especially with Tyson's just because of going to school there. That job was kind of a jacket, not a jack of all trades, but a jacket of all trades is what I used to say for years. Um, because I had to, in order to prove my worth in the short term, because, you know, it takes a long time to get into a company like Tyson and others, you know, 3M did stuff like that as well. I had to do other stuff. So I was kind of the safety manager for their company and would put job sites together. So I would travel to all the job sites. So you'd have like a five, $10 million project and they would, I would put all that together and help with the hiring. And so they kind of taught all that to me. In the meantime, I'm kind of building their marketing and branding and trying to make inroads into some of the companies that we knew did cost plus work. So what happens is like for a Tyson Foods at that time, now this is back in 1990. Four. But at that time, they would do build their own wastewater and water treatment facilities outside of their plant so that they could either do that and process their own water before it goes into the municipality system, or they would pay heavy, heavy stipends, fees and stuff because there was so much stuff coming out of their facilities. So most of it was more cost effective for them just to build their own mini wastewater and water treatment facilities process their own water through it. And then by the time it got to the muni systems, it was, you know, just like a normal house or a normal construction. It's hard to believe, but, you know, Tyson Foods is going to have, you know, a $3 million or more dollar wastewater water treatment facilities, just like a city would, because they're, they're processing so much stuff. And again, 3M was another uh, client that we got in with while I was still there. So for two years, I worked for this um, heavy industrial contractor, and I learned so much about construction and safety and OSHA and all of that. But also, you know, it was terrifying to go into these huge meetings with Tyson Foods and 3M and you're pitching this basically, you know, he was an entrepreneur. I mean, he was he was doing probably, you know, 15 million or more a year. But I mean, there was there was less than you have seven people on the payroll all the time. Most everybody else was subbed out and stuff. So it was pretty intimidating for a 22-year-old to do that. And one one thing that I learned in that process was that if you didn't understand finance, that you really couldn't make it as an entrepreneur. It was just a, really a critical component. And I had cruised through my finance classes. And by cruised, what I mean is I found them completely uninteresting. So I took them as summer courses so that I wouldn't have to sit through an entire semester of them. And so I really felt like, you know, I kind of had a deficit in that area. And, you know, I really always kind of dreamed that I would run somebody else's company or my own. So I really saw that as a deficit that I had. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of noise in that season of life. But there was an opportunity at Nations Bank within a span of a of a little bit of time in there. I was working like 90 hours a week for this heavy industrial contractor. And I was traveling all over the Midwest, 22 years old in my little Saturn, I remember. And I, and basically I kind of fried out. So I kind of stepped back from everything for a season. I had somebody that said, you ought to look in this management training program at Nations Bank. And I was like, 
banking, but that bug in the back of my head of, I need to know that. So, you know, people even God or however that is, I think it was just kind of one of those things where I knew that and I'd learned that and an opportunity came up. And so I went ahead and I posted for the job, even though I didn't think I qualified at all. So that was pretty bold of me, but I did. And I went through a extensive interview process, phone interviews and everything. So I got to, I did, I had to travel, um, to Little Rock to interview. And I think I had three interviews with three different individuals. And one of those people was David Russell, who is today the president of First Security Bank out of Fayetteville and still I consider a mentor and friend. But he was one of the three. I was, didn't know no better than just to be honest and, you know, um, not to be um, male, female, but a man would have never said, I'm not qualified for this. Mm -hmm. But as a woman, but women are apt to do that. And I sat in those interviews and said, two of them being female, one male and said, you know, I'm not qualified for this. This is my resume. This is my experience. And I have, um, you know, I'm a hard worker and, and, you know, I'm curious and stuff. And I will never forget David Russell looked me straight in the eye and he said, you may not have a background bank in banking, but you have a background in all the things that we, we need here that we can't find. We can teach you banking, but we can't teach drive, passion, business development. And you have all of that in spades. And so, um, and I got the job. Did you know you had that in spades or, or did you not realize it until no. I told you? No, I did not know I had that. And some days, you know, all these years later, I still don't know that. But no, and I was, I remember, I, I just remember being kind of like, okay, I mean, so when they, when they did offer me that they didn't offer me the job on the spot, you know, they called and offered me the job. I said, yes primarily because I wanted to work with or for David Russell. One of the definitely, because he obviously saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. So I started in their management training program and they moved me down to Hot Springs. And it was supposed to be there for six months. And then you could just go anywhere. And because I was single and I didn't, wasn't in a serious relationship or anything, I told them I'd, do, I'd go wherever. So I ended up down in Hot Springs for only five months because there was an opening in Little Rock. And the rumor is that David, who was a regional head, and there were two other regional heads at the time, I believe it was two, that they were all kind of jockeying for me to get me in their region. To be president of Arkansas at the time for what was in the process of becoming Bank of America, because uh, Nations Bank was merging with Bank America to become Bank of America. The president of the state at the time over retail said, they, Little Rock wins, they get her. And so um, I'll never forget that. I'm, I was a month shy from finishing the program. They relocate me to Jones to Little Rock and set me up in like temporary housing. I literally moved my office and my little apartment at the time, which had no furniture on New Year's Eve that year. So, and moved to, to Little Rock. And so I was in the retail and kind of going through the management training program and going to stay on the retail side. And within that year, a year of that, you know, mentors had encouraged me to start my MBA because I, so I started my MBA at night. I don't remember sometime within that next year. And, um, and then somebody in the commercial, the commercial strategies, which was the largest division for the largest deals here in Arkansas, somebody saw me, met me and, and said, she's got something. And so that became a little bit of a war because now the retail president for the state is kind of going up against the 
the corporate president for the state. And so in corporate one, and so they got me. And so then I, I moved over to commercial um, as an analyst and then they stuck me in a training program. And I spent the next year traveling out to Charlotte a ton doing training and was actually in Charlotte when I found out that our team got disbanded in one of the infamous year in where Bank of America laid off a bunch of people that happened like two or three years ago. And of course, Hugh McCall, had, who was the CEO, had just been in a room with all of the people I was training with saying, you guys won't get because you're the best and the broadest we have. You won't lose your job. Famous last words. Mm-hmm. And so then it became a um, and then St. Louis wanted me in Nashville, and then I had to decide what I wanted to do. But I ended up having a really interesting time there and got kind of get, got relocated again to Nashville and then got um, asked to move again to Jonesboro. And then um, it was, I guess, 2000 to when U.S. Bank came after me and and then they moved me back to Little Rock. So, you know, and I never thought I would leave Bank of America. So people said I bled red, white, and blue. I loved it very, very much. But it was a lot of relocate, uh, relocation. I relocated a lot, but I loved, I loved my work. I really, and that was kind of thing. And I was working on my MBA at night. So they kept moving me and I kept losing ground that. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a real sick, uh, self-sacrificial in a lot of ways. And at the time I didn't see it that way. I thought I'm, I'm getting promoted and I'm making more money each time and I'm getting all this training and opportunity. And, and then of course, David Russell, I can remember calling him from Nashville saying they want to move me again. And I said, I just finished a year at Belmont in the MBA program at Belmont university in Nashville. And he said, well, Heather, you know, and I said, they'll only let me transfer six hours. So I basically wasted a year. And he was like, yes, but nobody, it's not a waste because nobody could ever take that education away from you. And I never forgot that because then when US Bank moved me back to Little Rock and I started, I went back to University of Arkansas at Little Rock to finish my MBA where I'd started it all those years earlier. So you have to have 30 hours for an MBA. And I had something like 60. I mean, when I graduated finally in 2005 with my MBA. But I say all that to say that's a lot of that's a that's a there's a lot of there's a lot in there. But at the time, I thought that it was a great opportunities and stuff. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think at forty seven, you look back and you say there was there's not a martyr in me about it, but there is a acknowledgement that I saw I sacrificed a lot of my life so that I could accept those opportunities. There was a trade off that I don't think that I at the time I was really thinking of or weighing out. And so one of the things that I talk to, I do a lot of mentoring today. And one of the things that I tell the the young men and women that I mentor is to always weigh it out. And I think if you sat down with Josh, who's my business partner now going on seven years, I think that if he were honest with you, he would say, Heather talks a lot about personal balance. And I don't believe in balance. I think that's a myth that, that people sell women to make us feel guilty because I don't believe that balance exists. I think that there's seasons of your life where you will give or take more or less depending on what it is you're, you're going after. But what I do believe is that you should have a, a mix. You should have a very, a, a well, what I like to call a well-balanced personal mix of work and church and home, I mean, you know, personal family, all of those things, private life. And I would be the first to say that I did not have, I was not diversified well in my personal mix. You know, it, um, I had my MBA and I had work and then every two weekends I would go wherever my nieces and nephews were, 
you know, when I was in Nashville, I'd drive to Jonesboro every two weeks. And so, um, and I don't regret that time, but I, it, it wasn't a full, it wasn't a full and balanced life. It was, I, it was very zero summed in three categories. And so there just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of blend. Everything was in, which is odd for a woman, mainly men compartmentalize and women tend to be like a bowl of spaghetti. Men are like waffles. Women are like a bowl of spaghetti. Everything touches. But for me, I really compartmentalize my life. And I think that's so that I could handle and manage it better. Um, and that was kind of the control freak in me. So what I wish is that, and what I, I kind of got diverted, but what I tell college students that I mentor today and in their twenties is make sure that you've got a good mix and make sure that you're making t- time for all of those things because your work and your bosses and your professional mentors will definitely push you to, you know, work harder, faster, longer. Um, they'll push you to get your education. Um, your family's always going to make you feel guilty, whether they mean to or not. And they're going to always want you to come home wherever home is, you know, whether your parents or your sister and the nieces and nephews or whatever, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's probably going to tell you to carve out time to build a life to build, you know, a home and a, and a community right where you're at. That made it really easy for them to get me to relocate because I never had a chance to build that community wherever I went because I wasn't there long enough. And that's not, that's not Nations Bank fault or Bank of America's fault or U.S. Bank's fault. That's, that's Heather Root's fault. But that's something that I didn't have kind of a personal board of directors. I'm doing a lot of research on that right now. I had a lot of great professional mentors, but I didn't have a lot of personal mentors. And I feel like if I had had a diverse group of mentors, I probably would have had somebody pouring into me at that, in those seasons going, hey, you're, you're doing really great in these couple of areas, but you really you need some focus here. That's a, that's a kind of a takeaway, a learning lesson from that season. I want to uh, go back to uh, construction. That's obviously a male-dominated field. I have two questions, but I think the second one, let's kind of save to the end, but I'm going to start with it. So I'm going to ask you if you know what has driven you to, I know you've had opportunities, but is there something that's driven you into these mostly male-dominated fields? Does it go back to childhood? Is it overcoming an insecurity? Whatever it is. But first, uh, did you have challenges as a woman, especially a young woman, in that field? And, oh. and so what did they look like and how did you handle them or not handle them? I did have challenges. I think that my number one challenge was myself. My number one challenge was that, you know, a physician, know, you know, heal thyself. They always say, well, you know, human beings should know thyself. Um, I'm a big proponent of counseling. I think everybody should have counseling. Um, I didn't start counseling till two and a half years ago. I went weekly for a season and then every other, every couple of weeks. And it's, it's spread out longer now, but I wish that I had had that at 18 because I did think, I do think I had a lot of, I, I think everybody has issues in their childhood and nobody's childhood is perfect. And so I think counseling is really, really important, but I, I definitely had a very dysfunctional childhood. And I think it, it definitely led to me making both good choices and bad choices, you know, for good and bad reasons. So I think that one of the problems that I had just entering, I'd, I've been working since I was 13, but that was post college. That was my first kind of professional gig, a professional job where, um, and I was, I was not prepared. I mean, I had, um, the owner of the company was a male and he really believed in me, number one, which was good. But I don't, and the other thing, I think he didn't know what to do with the fact that I was very 
awkward in the sense of like, I can remember him giving me a bonus with some money because I did not have the proper clothes. Like I didn't have enough suits or like things to go and do. And he was like, you need to go buy your some clothes. And I'm like, who's gonna, you know, and I didn't know like where to go. I mean, which I think seems kind of crazy because you're going, you've worked till you're 13. It's not like you were, you know, but you know, I've worked in a restaurant, so mm-hmm. I'd all you know, waited tables and I'd been a gopher and I cleaned houses. So I'd never been, besides one job, I really hadn't been in a professional environment. I only worked a couple of days that because I had those other jobs. So I I really wasn't prepared for um, how to present myself professionally from just a, from even a dress perspective. So imagine how awkward I was as far as understanding the dynamics of a workplace when everybody there is male, except for the accounting person. Uh, Here I am, 22. And for 22 and somebody who'd worked as long, you know, for as long as I had, I was really naive. He sent me out to these job sites with these superintendents who are, I'm 22 and they're 50 something. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, who's this little runt girl, you know, and I, you know, I think that for the most, for the most part, I think I bluffed my way through most of it. And we would sit down with engineering firms like Garver and McClellan. So we were in Springfield, Missouri, but we did a lot of work in Arkansas. So those are the ones that popped in mind because they were Arkansas based companies, but you know, we're in firms with engineers and stuff. And I'm, I mean, I'm having to kind of hold my own and, you know, I just, you know, I I think I kind of held you know, did my very best, you know, and I had a couple of instances where I had, you know, superintendents do things, you know, like you're all on the road, you know, they're all living out of hotels. And so they say, I can remember this instance that, um, the superintendent said, here, come, you know, just bring me that paperwork because they had sent me down with some paperwork and you go in their hotel room. And I mean, naive didn't think anything about it. And I can remember um, that superintendent kind of getting grabby. And I remember just like shoving him and going like, you know, and I, I never, um, cause I kind of had an instance happen while I was waiting tables in college. That was way worse than that. Guy shoved me up against a freezer. <laughs> Someone you worked with? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it wasn't the first time that, you know, somebody had gotten grabby and I just kind of pushed them off and said, you know, knock it off. But I remember thinking it shouldn't, I re- and so I never was fearful though. I, you know, and if I was fearful, I don't remember knowing it. I mean, I think I just, every once in a while that might happen. And I just said no. And, you know, you keep going. But I can remember thinking that maybe I should tell my boss. Maybe I should tell the owner. And I don't know that I ever did. I don't think I'd. But I thought, you know, it's what's the big deal? You know, today, my first thing would be, you know, you should definitely tell your boss. And, you know, they should take care of it. But, you know, back then, you know, that's 1994. And it never happened again. And, you know, so I think that there's some pros and cons there that, you know, it shouldn't have happened to begin with, but I did address it and it didn't happen again. And, you know, I, I remember kind of thinking through some stuff, but so that, you know, there was that, that kind of thing, but also just frankly, I didn't have a background in construction. You know, I'm, I'm got leadership experience and marketing and marketing and business plans and stuff. But, you know, I was outside of my depth and a girl and that was, that was kind of a double whammy, but it just, uh, I was, I remember working something like 70, 90 hours a week. I mean, it was, it was insane, Mm -hmm. but I think that, you know, I was just hustling, hustling for my worth. And so, you know, if I had it to do over again, I think I probably would have again, try to find that more balance as far as teach me what I don't know, but 
also have appropriate boundaries. I mean, just the bottom line is that I had no boundaries because I just didn't know any different. What if um, today, knowing, knowing what you know now, what if someone came to you and said that they'd had an experience like that while they were working for the company? How, how and I know it, it depends on the situation, but how is it best to deal with vendors or, or customers or people who are who misbehave or inappropriate? You know, my, my thing, my take is always just to, to be honest. You know, I probably have more grace about that in some ways. Now, Josh will tell you and others will tell you, well, Heather's just a hardcore feminist and she just doesn't take any go. And I would absolutely stand by that that's an absolutely 100% statement. But I also think that um, that in the in the situations when bad behaviors happen happening to me and it and it still does i mean josh witnessed one of the worst cases of sexism against me i'd i'd ever experienced um back you know 2 years into our company in our own conference room by vendor um but uh i think that i do have grace in the sense of when it's happening to me or when it's happening between two people male or female where, you know, let's, let's sit down and let's talk about it. I think that, um, in all the times that I think I've lost my mind, so to speak, you know, lost my temper in the black Irish, my black Irish tempers popped out. I don't think it's ever popped out about that. And I think that's because I've experienced it firsthand, but I also think that, you know, we're in a very fast changing society and, right, wrong, or indifferent, and I may be really naive to say this, but construction is kind of one of those last holdouts where, you know, they kind of, the perception is that, you know, they're old guard and they're slow to change. And so I'm not saying that they shouldn't change. I'm just saying that I'm going to have grace to sit down and say, hey, I bet nobody's ever said to you, you don't do that, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've kind of gotten passes, whereas other industries you've seen, you know, Hollywood in the last couple of years, you've seen Hollywood having a come up, come up. And, but I can't imagine any of that, that I've heard or read about that's happened. I mean, in the last five years, I can't imagine any of that happening over the 20, nearly 20 years I spent in corporate, that would have been unheard of. So I think that there are industries that are slow, slower to come around to the right way. So I don't think that you, um, if, if the goal is to, to, teach what is good behavior and bad behavior to the point that it's corrected and doesn't happen again, then I think you've got to go into those conversations with some grace and some tell me both sides of the story and let's walk through why this, that it doesn't happen at this company or that doesn't happen in 2018 or whatever the case is. Because I do think that a lot of people in a lot of different industries have gotten a pass. And so now, if they now if it happens a second time, that's a whole other ball game. But that first time, I probably have um, a surprising amount of grace in mm-hmm. for first times. Yeah, Again, and I agree. specify that that ha- that depends on the severity of the situation too. Right. I mean, right. absolutely. I mean, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna you know shove anybody up against a wall or anything. I mean, that's a whole other level. But I do think that um, it's more mainly in verbal speech mm-hmm. because, good lord, I've you know I've said things that 
that I thought were funny, but are not funny. You know, I mean, I think we've all said things that in 2018, if we could hear ourselves even five years ago, we'd go and wince a little bit, you know, I, you know, I think that the problem in society today is that everybody's just such a hard line of I'm going to pummel them if they do something wrong. And there's no teaching. There's no, there's no grace for growth. I mean, good Lord, I hope I'm not the same person today at 47 as I was even at at 40 when we started the company, you know, I hope I'm better. I mean, I pray I'm better. And so if, if I'm going to expect that there's going to be grace for me and that, that I'm a growing individual, then I have to be able to offer that to somebody else. Yeah, I agree. I believe in opportunities to learn and to hear other people and how your behavior affects them. I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Will you tell me what happened in the, in the boardroom at SEAL? Um, it was kind of interesting. We've, we've talked, we've, I would never name names, but we had just made a decision to, to switch vendors for something. And, uh, the, uh, the vendor, one of the representatives for the vendor that we were leaving came into our offices and this was in 2014. I, I believe it was 2014. I don't think it, it might've been 2015, but it was sometime in the first, you know, maybe first three years. They came into our offices and they sat down, well, I sat down with them in our, in our conference room and Josh was in there as well. They proceeded to berate me uh, about leaving and that, you know, I was, uh, you know, an idiot and, you know, I didn't know this or that. And they were condescending and pompous and talking down to me and stuff. And, and Josh has been really open when we tell the story about that he was in the corner in the fetal position, just in shock, just in complete shock, because he just had never seen a woman dressed down like that. And when, when the gentleman left, um, and I kept, and I, you know, kept my calm and just let him have, just let him lose his mind on me. Though it, there were a couple of points that I said, if you don't tone down your voice or something, you're just going to have to leave because, you know, I'll let you get all this off your chest. But, you know, there's, I mean, our walls are all paper thin. So, I mean, everybody in the office heard everything he said to me. Um, but I, I don't know why, but I kept my cool and just kind of let him have his way. And then he, you know, finally left and I go back in there and Josh is just like, oh my God. I mean, he never even said like, Heather, I'm sorry or whatever. He was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. You know, I can't, he, he was truly, I think he has PTSD from it. He was just in shock, you know, as you know, he's was, you know, 27 when we started the company. So this was probably, he's probably 30. He's, you know, the only He'd only ever worked for his father's firm. I mean, he just had not experienced that. And his father, you know, there he grew up in a very female-friendly household. So he just never seen anything like that. So he, the joke is he's more of a feminist than I am. So, you know, he just had never, you know, he'd never seen anything like that. And so that ended up being a real teaching moment with him to go, when you see this happening to a woman, whoever that woman is, whatever the circumstances or the geography where you're at is you stop that. You, you stop that and you say, you're not going to talk to her, you know, that way, period, full stop, because she's a human being. Da, da, da. So it ended up being a real teaching moment for, for me, for with Josh, which I'm so appreciative of because we have had a, something like that happen since, you know, that he's, he's stopped it. Um, but it was, um, I mean, I had to talk to a couple of people about it. I was pretty upset that day. I mean, we've had some men and women that have, um, that have done that, you know, and, and I get it more, you know, Josh is always, we like to say Josh is the fun Josh. And, and I think that people, 
I've always said that that people will say things to a woman, a professional woman, that they would never say to a professional man. So, you know, Josh and I have have built and run Steel as partners. And so they would say things to me that they would not say to him and in tones that they would never say to him. And so SEAL in particular has been a real eye-opener for me as far as how much disparity is still out there, as far as a strong woman is a woman is deemed a B-word, and a strong man is just strong and ambitious and driven. And I saw that d- discrepancy in corporate America the entire time I was there. But it's shocking that it's 2018 and to still see it as much as I do. And the other shocker is that women continue to be as bad offenders in that area, in my opinion, as men are. That there's just so much competition still between professional women. And anybody that knows me knows that I'm a real, like I fight that. I try to just build up and encourage every professional woman I know because I think the only way to fight that is just to be, be the absolute 1000% opposite of it. And and women have hurt me in my professional career. So I've always said I'd much rather work for a man than a woman. But will you call women out when you observe the behavior? Or not call them out, but mention it? I have. Um, and I've always gotten fraud. So I, I definitely have gone through seasons where I've just let it happen and not not said anything just because when I've gone through seasons where I have, I've just gotten burned so hard. I've been a a good feminist, I guess you would say in some areas sometimes and not in others Um, because I think you just get weary. And then also it's kind of like mini counseling because you know what? I've been a bad woman. I've said things that I wish I hadn't said to men and women. I haven't always conducted myself in the way that I wish that I had. To get to the heart of it, for when I see bad behavior sometimes, I realize it's going to take a counseling session with them that I don't have the energy for. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the truth is, it's it's almost that, like that line from The Help where she says, um, I don't, have you ever seen the movie The Help? Yes. So there's a great line in that movie that is not in the book. They added it in the film. And it's at the very end when um, the maid is, is talking to uh, when she's getting fired. Uh, the main maid um, who helped with the book, the main one, mm-hmm. and getting fired from the the mean girl with uh, red hair. I can't remember any of their character names. Okay. But, um, but she's getting she's getting let go from. She works for the blonde, and the redheads kind of stepped in and said, "Yeah, you're going to fire her." And she's getting fired, and the other woman goes away for a second, and she is just lit into her, going, "I know you. I know you." gave all her, I know you're behind the book and stuff. And the maid looks at her extremely calm and says, aren't you tired? Just cool as a cucumber. Aren't you tired? And I remember having a surreal, like out of body experience when I saw that film and saw that line, because I thought that's the perfect comeback to every, um, not to the men, but to every woman who's ever been mean, including myself who's ever been had bad behavior to go, aren't you tired? Because where that's coming from is she's just, you know, I really believe this and I know I'm a Pollyanna, but I think that there's just something else going on that you just don't know. And some, somebody's hurt that person. Somebody's broken them. They've had a bad day, whatever it is. And, you know, you just kind of got to cut through all that and go, what's going on in so many ways. So I just think that sometimes I've done a really good job of going, Hey, what's going on? You know, can we talk? And other times I've been a complete 
coward about it and just, you know, I'm not going to deal with it. And there's been plenty of relationships, professional and otherwise, that I've just walked away from because I just didn't feel like I had the the bandwidth to to do whatever it was going to take to make that right, whether because of my own shortcomings or theirs or a combination. So relationships are hard. I just think relationships are hard. They are. are. I think I'm better at them today in 2018 than I've ever been. And that's across all spectrums. But I still think that they're they're the hardest thing ever. You talk about that line, aren't you tired? And I feel that way about politics. And whenever I felt like I want to kind of throw in the towel on women lead because, you know, I can't get those darn Republicans to come along with us, you know, or whatever it is. And I'm like, no, I just don't, I don't want to be partisan. I don't, I would much rather bring us all together to solve problems because I'm, I'm tired of being angry, you know, and I'm just more interested in, in getting to know people, getting together to solve problems. So I think it's, I think it's the same thing. And I'm just, I am tired. I'm tired of that. And I, and I'm the same. I've, I've treated women and, and men badly too. And I just try not to do it. I think, though, that I think acknowledging that is the first step, though, to really helping change and break the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think that if if more of more would get to that point, it doesn't mean that you're perfect after that point, but it does. I, I think you have to acknowledge that, you know, I haven't always handled situations perfectly in the workplace or any other way. And everything outside of the workplace impacts the workplace and vice versa. Yeah. So I think one of the things that happens with maturity, at least it has for me, is to recognize that I thought I did a great job of compartmentalizing my life. But the truth of the matter is it was all bleeding all over the other things. I just was not emotionally healthy enough to, to recognize it. I, you know, I was just, I was just hustling. And so, you know, I never stopped for a hot minute to realize that, Hey, it's all impacting the other. I think that some of that comes with wisdom and age, but, you know, I think some of it is great mentoring and, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, as early, as young as you can, you got to start finding people to mentor you in the, in the roles and with the life that you, that you want for yourself. You've got to, you've got to find those people and you've got to, ask them to, to speak some hard truth into you. I mean, you know, the best mentors I have are not just telling me when I'm doing things right, but more, more than that, they're telling me when I'm not and when I'm, I'm falling short, but they're telling it to me in love and they're telling it to me with, here's some things that you can do. And, but they do it too. And there's a lot of equity there. I know that they are for me and that they have, you know, the best of intentions for me. And so, you know, there's equity built up there. And so, you know, those type of mentor relationships take a long time to develop and cultivate. And and I just don't think you can be too young Mm -hmm. to, uh, to start building that up. And, you know, I really am a big believer. I was just talking to a CEO, female CEO here in Arkansas over the weekend, and they're going to be my guinea pig um, because I'm really going to do this for myself as build a personal board of directors. Mm -hmm. I talked about it. I taught up at uh, University of Arkansas, I taught a day in Dr. Molly Rayford's marketing class. And I was up there to talk about storytelling, but I talked a little bit about personal board of directors because I've been reading up on it and I just kind of wanted to test, see what they thought. And they're going to, the CEO is going to test it out with me. But I really am a big believer that we we set up these board of directors for companies, but we don't set up board of directors for our lives. And here, you know, we're doing all this stuff and how much is going on outside of work. And it's all it's all meshing. And so we need people in our lives who are going to speak truth into us and, and keep us on, keep us on track. Cause it's, it's real easy to get a little haywire, a little, little sidetracked. So as you kind of experiment with this personal board of directors, is, is there a goal you're trying to reach or how will you know if it's working? Do you know? 
The honest answer is I don't know. Here's what I've learned in counseling is that sometimes, especially when you're a leader and it doesn't matter what realm of the leadership pole you are, whether you mean to or not, sometimes you build echo chambers in your life <laughs> and not that doesn't just happen at, in your business or whether you're a corporate or an entrepreneur, but it happens in all of your life. And all the next thing you know, you've surrounded yourself by people who just tell you how awesome you are, build you up because, you know, you're having all these rough days. And so you never sit them down and go, okay, I know I'm good. I'm talented. Okay. I get it. But okay. Tell me what I'm not doing. Right. Tell me, here's the things that I really want to do. You know, I'm 47. Here's the things I really want to do that I still dream about over the next 40 years of my life. If I should live to 87, am I on this right track to get there? So I think that, I think that you, you know, it works if you've got, if, you know, know, a year from now, you feel like you've accomplished more of the goals that you have for yourself or the dreams and that you don't, you feel more like I'm being honest with, you know, myself and not just, I'm not just running, but I'm being thoughtful in how I am directing my life. You know, how am I spending the time, my time? Right. I need a board of directors. <laughs> you want to so, be, you be my second. I'm, yeah. I'm building up guinea pigs right now. Yeah. Talk to me about your public speaking and your, I read, I read a, an article you wrote about being a nervous public speaker, but now you love it or something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, so tell me, tell me what it is you like to talk to people about. Um, there's a couple of things that I've, well, probably three. I mean, the main thing I get asked to speak about a lot about a seal and entrepreneurship and, you know, what it's, um, what it's like to, you know, started a company here in Arkansas and, um, and, and what that, what that entrepreneurial business cycle has looked like and what I've learned and how the company's changed. And so I, I talk a lot about that. And, and then I also have a, uh, talk, you know, I, there's, it's, if anybody follows anything that I, I've written and I'm, I've gotten a lot more out there, I think in the last couple of years, there's several fun hashtags to follow, but, but one of them is face down and there is a, a season where something kind of tripped in, in my life. And it, it, what happened was what followed was a domino effect. And this was the year before we started seal. And, um, I like to call 2012 as the year that I would never wish upon my worst enemy. My life just started spiraling and it was just like one domino after the other. It was the, it was the weirdest, dangest thing you'd ever seen in your life. And if, if I hadn't lived through it, I wouldn't believe it because it was just, um, it was a nightmare on all levels. I think that was the, that was really when I kind of sat down and said, I'm done. You know, I think that was, that was my real wake up call to, you know, I've been, I was, I think 20 I, I was right around 40. I can't remember how, I forget how old I was. So it was about, I was, I was right about to turn 40 or I was 40. I can't remember, but I, it wasn't a midlife crisis. And I, and I would never, because people have said that, oh, well, you're about 40. So you're, you're, it was time for your midlife crisis. And I said, I would never disrespect what happened in that year that way. Cause it was so much more than a, than a midlife crisis. I had had my life on a one track from probably 10, nine, you know, eight years old. And I had had a tunnel vision 
And it was the first time that I hit the wall and realized that the track that I was on was not only was not working for me, but had never really worked for me. So it really was a complete face down moment of, you know, I kind of give this up. And it was really, I'd, I'd been in the church my whole life. You know, my, both my grandfathers were elders in the church, you know, I'd been raised in the church and, but it was really a recognition of what my life looked like and what my life was were two very different things. And, and, so I, my faith just was not where it needed to be. I, you know, I, I, I was in church, but I, I wasn't faith filled. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't trust God as far as I could throw him. And the truth is, I think it, it took me almost a full year to just admit that part. And, you know, I kind of was under this kind of delusional of, you know, I'm in church and da, 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 and, you know, God's got me and it's going to be okay. And, you know, you hear those phrases and, um, the truth of the matter is I didn't trust him. And so he couldn't, he couldn't, he had me, but it, I, you know, it just, it, there was not a relationship there. Mm-hmm. And so I like to say that it was just, um, it kind of, you know, I kind of had to have the rug pulled out from underneath before I would just kind of face that, um, that, that I'd really built my life on, um, not to overdo spiritual analogies, but I really had built it on sinking sand. It, I had just been on a treadmill and I was just hustling for my worth and I was hustling for all it was worth. And I was miserable. I had everything I thought that I was supposed to want. And it was just, it was, it was just, I was the most miserable person you can imagine. And nobody knew it. I mean, and in hell, I didn't know it. I mean, you just, you know, you're just running, 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 and you don't realize that you're, that you're just running on a treadmill and you're not really getting anywhere. And so it was, um, it was a really, you know, hard year. And earlier this year, I spoke on it for the first time ever. I wrote it out, finished it and spoke on it. And I could not, I was as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. And I could not believe the reception I got after that. So it, it really made me brave to go, you know, I need to talk about this. Um, and so it's a pretty focused talk when I talk about it much better than what I'm doing now. It was really uh, important for me to start talking about it, to um, share it. And then also, I think because people kind of went, no way. I don't think that you realize how much of a poser we all are. And I don't think you realize how much of a poser you are until you're really honest about a section of your life. And people are like, no way that happened. Mm -hmm. No way. No. And you're like, yeah, you know, I fall down just like you do. I mean, we all, you know, we all fall down. So um, there's that one. And then I also have a couple of different, you know, I've had people um, have me come and talk about storytelling and about how you can use storytelling, whether it's in a nonprofit or for profit. I got asked to speak uh, and I ended up teaching a whole workshop on storytelling to an executive team at a firm here in Arkansas about how, how they're using as an executive team in their private life using social media and stuff and how they can do that and share kind of the story of their work and, and really um, engage in a new audience for their business and stuff. But I'm, you know, I'm really passionate about storytelling. We've, we've used it a lot over the last 18 months, year and a half, especially here at um, SEAL. It's kind of a something we started testing, you know, a year ago last spring and I just have fallen in love with it. It's just a great way for us to, to get out, into the community and across Arkansas, like what our firm is doing. And we tell the stories of our clients and our employees. And it's just, it's just a, 
fascinating way. But what's what it's triggered in me is is how much I just love the story. And and I think that I think I've always been a storyteller. And of course, I think I'm a writer first and foremost, and everything else is kind of second. I just have, I just have denied it for a long time. But but I, it's fun to sit to speak to groups and talk about how to how to use a story and how it's just right there. Like if you're a business or not, I mean, it's just like right there for the taken mm-hmm. and how people aren't using it. Yeah. And that is such a great way to engage people in what you're trying to either get them to buy or trying to give money to or whatever the case is. And so I really uh, believe that storytelling is going to continue to be the buzzword. You know, when I when I first started delving into it 18 months ago, nobody was talking about it and everybody thought I was crazy. But now you hear it all the time. And so and I, I think it's got legs. I think it's got some sea legs. I think it'll stay around for a while because, you know, we're all just made for story. I think it's really effective in creating connection to your potential yes. customers yeah. friends. I mean, just like whoever you're trying to reach. I mean, I think that's the way to reach them. And especially Absolutely. when no one knows anymore how to, how to market, right? Well, I think, yeah. I think everything feels so impersonal. And then when you, when you can create the connections, I think that makes all the difference. Absolutely. I know we need to wrap up here pretty soon. There are just a couple things, first of all, so I don't forget, how can people find you? What's your website, Twitter, however you like to communicate? Okay. You can find me on LinkedIn under Heather R. Nelson. That's a great way to connect and you can see everything I've done across the spectrum. I do have a personal website, um, heatherrnelson.com. And you can check out what SEAL's doing at SEAL Corporation, S-E-A-L, Corporation, all spelled out.com. And you can check on our solar division, our heat and air division, our energy efficiencies. Um, we're really proud of our website, um, Rock City Digital out of Little Rock, uh, helped us revamp it um, a, a little over a year ago. And we're just really proud of that. Um, so that's great. And we're on Twitter at Silva Leaks. I'm on Twitter under Heather R. Nelson on Instagram under Heather Ruth Nelson. So I'm not got a Facebook writing page. So I'm all the places. But if you go to my personal website, you'll have links to all my stuff. And then if you go to sealcorporation.com, you'll have links to all the seal stuff. And, and if you can just briefly explain seal. We started SEAL Corporation back in 2012. We originally started as an energy efficiency focused firm doing quality control checks for the Clinton Foundation at the Times uh, Hill program through their Clinton Climate Initiative. It didn't take us long to see there was a lot of opportunity there. And so over the last um, six plus years, we've done a couple acquisitions. We added commercial that first year. We were in residential and commercial. We did a heat and air acquisition. At one point, we did an energy audit firm acquisition. We expanded and did an office in Jackson, Mississippi. We do a special pilot with Mississippi Energy over there. And then in 2015, we started putting R&D money into solar design and install. I knew we were probably a little bit ahead of the curve, but we were not as ahead of the curve as we thought, as we soon found out. And then um, last year in 2017, it really Late 2016, we really started seeing an uptick, but last year it just went through the roof. And so now um, solar is probably almost two thirds of our business. Um, and so we do solar design and install for not simply residential, but commercial and agriculture. So we, um, we do farms here and uh, across Arkansas, and that's our whole footprint. So we do solar all over Arkansas. Energy efficiency is still a huge passion of ours. Um, We tend to focus that more um, centrally located, but we have been known to be all over the state doing energy efficiency work, whether it's for commercial or residential. 
And then heat and air, we, we tend to stay within the 50 mile radius of Little Rock on heat and air. We like to say it's more of a concierge um, heat and air services because, you know, our, t- our, uh, our team is not l- looking just at maintenance, repair or replacement for your furnace or your air conditioning, but they're really kind of looking at it going, how's it functioning with your whole space, whether that's a small business, commercial or residential. So um, we've got, uh, we're really proud of of that team and how they've, you know, kind of developed and grown over the years. So the head of that team is, I mean, they're, they're looking at solar when they go into a home, they're looking at heat and air, they're looking at energy efficiency. So they're, um, we're really taking that holistic approach to the space, which was ironically the original vision for the firm back in 2012. But we are seeing more of it today where we talk about conservation and then efficiency. And then, you know, you're looking at renewables. And so we're really proud of kind of what Today, we're closer to the original vision than we've ever been. We just never imagined it was going to look the way that it, it looks. So we're really excited. That is exciting. Okay, so I have one more question. Um, in, your, in your mentor work with, um, I'm assuming it's not just women, but are you, do you see a theme in the struggles or the questions or the issues that your mentees have that you try to help them with? Is it just confidence or experience? What are you seeing? I think that, and, you know, I think some of this is, um, is really Brene Brown gets a lot of credit for having us all talk about, you know, vulnerability and transparency and, um, authenticity, but I, that's really where the heart of the questions were prior to Brene Brown being hit in the scene. Um, cause I've been doing this a long time and now, I mean, especially, um, I think it's interesting how you, you see men that are struggling how to be authentic, to be vulnerable. No, they do not like that word, but that's what they're trying to do. I see women still trying to figure out how to how to do that and do it well. And it's it's no surprise because we still it's still so much a zero sum game sometimes in in the workplace of well women are like this and men are like this. And so I think we've got um, nobody wants to admit this and and. I'm the last one that wants to admit this, but I think we still have a long way to go before we have a workplace where the the gender, the old gender definitions don't take over in our subconsciously. We're all even enlightened people. We're all still, you know, looking through those filters, those old school filters of, well, she's a, mm, if she, you know, and he's whatever. And so, you know, he's weak if he care, if he asked how your weekend was or whatever, you know, I mean, you've still got all those things. And so what I tell the next generation is, you know, we're counting on you, you know, we didn't get this way overnight. And so we're not going to fix it. And we're not going to fix it in, in one generation. Yeah. You know, this takes time, but that doesn't mean that it's not a fight worth fighting. And so we all have to work hard at it. And, you know, and sometimes it's just, you know, one relationship at a time. But that also what that means is that you're going to have opportunities to lose. You're going to lose jobs or you're going to somebody may not respect you or even though, you know, you're doing all the right things. But you just have to, you know, you have to be true to who you are and let the chips fall where they may. And that's really, really hard. And trust me, I mean, I'm in there some days even at 47 where being authentic is really, really hard. And then there's other days that I'm much more confident in it and say, okay, this is just who I am. So I think it's, it, it's not an age thing. It's, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, this is just life. And so we just all have to do it. So I don't think that it's any easier or harder for depending on whether you're in your twenties or your forties or your sixties, but it is something that we have to, 
you know, especially in an age of social media. I mean, we just have to, the, the best way to talk, the best way to, to win at all this is to have audible communications. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another thing in our company that if it, if something goes in an email on the third try, they have to pick up the phone. Like, cause one of the things that I teach, you know, our people is that, you know, you can't hide behind text messaging or emails because things get lost in translation. If you're emailing back and forth or texting back and forth and, you know, there's still confusion or whatever, you've got to pick up the phone. You've got to have that audible conversation because something something's getting lost in translation. So that's true of, of how we win at these battles is, you know, it's going to get won in real life face to face. And that means all of us, especially, you know, introverts that look like extroverts like me, that we step outside of our comfort zone and have those hard conversations. Yeah. You did have another question. You said, what are you, what has driven you into oh. male dominant skills? Do you yes. want the answer? Yes. I have no, I, what I thought it was funny that you're one of the things that you wondered is if it was because of something in my childhood or something, which is funny. So when I was a kid, my family owned a lumber company, which is all male dominated. Um, I had a lot of great uncles. I adored my biological father and I adored all my uncles and I adore my aunts too. But, and I think that when our family exploded when I was eight, I think there probably is a part of me that kind of gravitates towards that the male dominated because there's something missing in my own childhood that I was missing that kind of father figure. Um, And I think that actually ended up heightening the isolation I felt from women in because I was always in. So it's not like I was picking female dominated fields, you know, with men in them, I was picking male dominated fields that there were very few women. And so I think I only made it worse for myself in some ways, because, you know, that's kind of what happened, whether it was lumber companies or construction companies or corporate lending. There's no, I mean, the only females in corporate lending when I was there, are the secretaries. And so not that there's anything wrong with that, but at the time you've got to remember, you know, and so I think I was always kind of pushing that envelope. And for me, I was, go, I was trying to find, I think internally, I was trying to probably find some comfort for that old wound. And so when you get rejected by the women and then, you know, I mean, you can see how it yeah. spiraled on me. Yeah. So now it's real clear at 47, you look back at that career and go, I see why I had problems in some of those relationships. I see that now. It's really clear. But at the time, you know, I, I was dumb as a rock. I had no idea that I was reaching for something that I was missing, that I that I lost in childhood. So, but that's what comes with time and counseling and yeah. go, oh, now... <laughs> Now I see it. And then you want to go back to every um, man and woman you ever worked with or for and say, I'm so sorry. You know, <laughs> here's why I did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's why. But, you know, I do wonder because especially in the last, um, the last several years as, you know, I've traveled a lot to Haiti and it just has kind of sprung forth all this creativity. And, and that's really what birthed out, birthed the storytelling idea was a trip to Haiti back in uh, 2017. And I, um, you know, I just, I wonder if I would not have geared, geared myself more towards creative endeavors if I had been different. So if I had healthier, more self-aware, you know, yeah. at the time, so kind of interesting. It's never too late. Well, I now I'm just trying to juggle a little bit of both, yeah. but yeah. And, and happy to do so. I've got a great, great business partner and Josh is fantastic. And he's kind of given me that space to, to, 
find a little bit more diversification in my in my life so as to fill all the buckets instead of just a couple of them. So I'm really grateful for that. So do you recall when you became aware that you were a feminist or that, that there was some inequity? What Do you remember what made you pay attention or... I don't know. I think everybody always, um, you know, I, you know, formally I'm an independent. And so I like to tell people that, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm a capitalist, but I'm also a feminist, not because I say that I am, but because, you know, everybody that knows me says, oh, you're a feminist. And, but what I think of as a feminist is not uh, (laughs) what some people would think of like the bra burners of old, but if, if I'm for equal pay and equal rights and nobody grabbing my private parts or slamming me up against a freezer wall, what, you know, when I didn't ask for it, then yeah, I guess I am a feminist. So, you know, I think that it's, it's really hard in this day and age. I think we're really quick to do labels and, and I think I'm really Mm anti-label. And so I think for a long time, I just, you know, people would say you're a feminist and I would cringe. And now if they do, I just say, I usually just, quip off, you know, something like I just did and say, yeah, if that's what it means, then okay. I mean, if, if you need to label me, then that's okay. Cause that's your right. deal. Right. But I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put a mantle up and say, cause I'm also a aunt and a friend and a sister and a, and a daughter and a business partner and an entrepreneur and a writer and a speaker, you know? So I'm just, you know, I go through seasons where I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. And others where I go, you know, I think this isn't getting us anywhere. So I like to think, try to be, I'm a human being first. Mm-hmm. And there's in this day and age, there's a lot of gray in this world, but there are some things that are just black and white. No, no human being deserves to be sexually harassed. Uh, every human being should, in the words of John Wayne, get paid a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. I just think some of these are just, that's just being a good human being. So that's a little bit of my stance on it. Um, I don't get asked that very much. And now you can see why, because my answer is not as, as cookie cutter as people would like, but I think, I hope it's a more real answer, but it's who I am. I mean, I think representative of what I believe in and stuff. So I think in a lot of ways, I definitely am. And, uh, and I'm okay with that. Well, and to me, all that means, all feminism means is access to the same opportunities, right? That's, Mm -hmm that's all I want. Just, I want opportunities to succeed, to fail or whatever, regardless of my gender. That's all it means to me. And I guess whatever you want to call it, if anything, can you think of, is it, is inequity or being treated differently because you're a woman? Is that something you first became aware of in the professional world or did that start earlier? Yeah, I think that I probably knew it younger than this, but I definitely knew it waiting tables at Pizza Inn as a teenager in high school because the men were allowed to be drivers and I couldn't because <laughs> I was like a woman at the time. And, you know, it was clothed in, oh, because of my age or whatever. Um, but there were others that were younger that were doing it. And so, and I remember just having to really fight to not be a server. I mean, and like, you know, I don't want that. And I just remember how frustrated I was. So I de- I definitely saw it. And I, and I certainly saw it, um, I mean, I've heard the phrase, well, he gets paid more because he has kids. Yeah. I mean, if you're single, never been married. So if you think I haven't heard that phrase of he gets paid more than you because he's married and has children or they're about to have children, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. So, um, so I've definitely 
have known about the disparity. And I think for for me, I, it only fed into the line I was telling myself of, I've got to hustle for my work. So it it definitely, I mean, I think my employers have always gotten a big, a good bang for their buck. I, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm not perfect and I've certainly made mistakes, but I, I, I've always been a hard worker. So I don't think that I've ever, um, I think if you put me up against any of my counterparts, I definitely think I was just as strong a hustler as anybody else. And so I think it, my employer, my employers definitely benefited from that mentality. But, but I think that, um, that, that only fed into my, my striving and hustling, which was not beneficial to me as a whole human being. So that I'm having to unwind and spend my precious time and resources of my forties unwinding. So it's so good to talk to you. It's I've so good you. to talk to you too. I've missed talking to you. And I, want I know, to catch me up. too. Me too. I still love you. And I'm I love you. Quite well. All right. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.